Hey, this is Rob Roderick from Abandonment. I'm here with Sarah Shulman. We're going to kick things off with a little freestyle about a certain website called... Comedy Vlogity. Okay, so right now, off the top you see properly, we drop a freeze, rocking these with comedy, straight to the vlogity. That's right, man. You know, we rip it to a pulp fam, chatting every day with the Sarah. Shulman. Yeah, that's right. You know that it's true. Sarah, tell us a person who on the website you interview. Dr. Brown. Yeah, that's right, man. I rock around town. You know, got respect for the clown, the Dr. Brown. Yeah, that's right. Man, he's never a disaster. I also like Doc Brown. He's a rapper. That's right, you know, man. Drop it like it's hot. Sarah's motioning to say she's also interviewed Doc Watt. Who else is on the site? Pappies. Pappies with the fun club for them. I got one love. Yeah, that's right, man. You know I did. Tee hee hee. Saw their show yesterday. BBC Three. Yep, that's right. Dropping these comedies. Got the guys Ben, Tom, and Mr. Crosby. Another person from the site. Sarah Pascoe. Yeah, our rap flows with the Miss Pascoe. You know that jokes, she got loads. So with Kevin Bridges up on the Apollo. You got to just see that, yo, help yourself. She's also the star of, I think, was it 2012? Yep, it was. Yep, that's right, we're prepared to rap respect to the doctor, the pappy, to the Sarah. This is how we do this, you know, we keep it coming. Freestyle rap with the Miss Sarah Shulman. Comedy vloggity. It's your boy. So, Rob. So, Sarah. Hmm? There's like a whole series that it on. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I feel like I'm a and the special subject is me, but in my mind I go, I haven't studied. I don't know. Well, you will know what the first question is, the mastermind question. Yeah. So, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into comedy? How did I? Brilliant question. Uh, how did I get into comedy? I was, I was 17. I was... Uh, 17 in the International Bar in Dublin, which is a beautiful, small bar. Uh, we used to drink underage when we were 15 and 16. It was like cheers, genuinely. <laughs> You'd walk in and like, it was the, it, the basement was where the underagers were. The uh, the top area was where the, um, where the kind of comedy was. Uh, so I kind of graduated from going in, you know, 15, 16, and it all kicked off in there. Went upstairs one night and saw Darrow Brian and Des Bishop and genuinely was just like this is the b-. I couldn't believe that it was happening like in my in my little underage bar and Darrow I don't think Des wasn't famous at the time Darrow was kind of a TV recent TV face and I just watched them improvise uh, and very quickly it became wonderfully apparent that I was underage and uh, yeah both of them kind of took the piss a lot <laughs> but in a very nice way and Dara was kind of riffing about kind of exams that I was going to be doing I remember leaving that being like that's amazing and then seeing Jason Byrne who again was another guy that just improvised so Jason do this three hour gig where he was rugby tackling people trying to leave and I just remember this kind of real sense of this looks amazing and then that year like I think we'd see our guidance counselor and I remember <laughs> going every of my year was like yeah I'm going to be a lawyer uh, I think I might do uh, actuary and I went uh, yeah, I'm thinking now uh, the comedy route like hip hop's up there like I probably did say that I was like I think the comedy route like in Ireland it seems to have more of a foothold and I think she might have with a smile said do you want to step out and come back in again <laughs> so and I did I, I remember going yeah I remember being like that's what I want to do and I remember we had an Irish well, you in Ireland you've to obviously you know, we've to learn to speak Irish and like one of those questions that they ask you you go in for an Irish oral exam and a chat with an Irish person and 
uh, they always go, you know, uh, after school, what would you love to do? And I remember going to my Irish teacher. I was like, man, I'm thinking of becoming a comedian. And again, there's always that kind of, this guy's an idiot, move on. So and what's the Irish or comedian? He was like, far grin. And I looked that up and what he described, <laughs> and I later told the Irish world guy, <laughs> what I had actually said was, I want to be a clown, which is a very different, I feel that like, I feel like a clown with the face paint and the clownery. I feel that's quite different to a stand-up. So yeah, that's, so that's, I mean, it's not when I started being stand-up, but it was when I kind of went, oh my God, that looks like the, e-. not, not the easiest thing, but it did look easy. I suppose like Jason Burton Darby and they're pretty effortless. But I went kind of, when we were all deciding to leave school, I remember thinking, man, oh, that was the other thing. My French teacher was in school with Dara Brian, And I mentioned that I'd seen Dara and there seemed to be a, a slight undertone of bitterness <laughs> that he was a French teacher. There genuinely was. I remember being like, he wasn't funny when I knew him. I was like, that's, that's a little angry. Uh, so I remember thinking, yeah, maybe there is a way of like not going. That was my thing. I didn't want to go to work. I just didn't want to be like, yeah, I do business or accountancy, which are brilliant things to do, but not my skill sets as the man who does my taxes for me will attest to. So what was your first stand-up gig like? Um, My first stand-up gig was, just trying to think back, I remember it was, I think it it topped and tailed really well, (laughs) is the best way of putting it. it was in a place, again, in central Dublin, Haypenny Bridge Inn. And I went in, it would have been around, like, I didn't do, I, I just had a go at it and then I didn't do it again for ages. But it would have been around 99. And I think I went in with um, a tape. And at the very start of the gig, I think it did something about me having seen a murder. It's like my internal monologue. And then at the end, I did Adagio for Strings, I think it is, the Platoon soundtrack. And that played, and again, I did a kind of voiceover of it. It was something like at the start of my internal monologue, I'd seen a guy in the crowd murder someone in Temple Bar, and it was me being like, just tell your jokes, don't mention the murder, don't mention the murder. <laughs> and at the end, I go, there's something I must tell you. And then Adagio for Strings started playing. It was very random. But the thing that was lovely about it was I hadn't realised that on the Platoon soundtrack, they include an actual gunshot. So there was a, there was a moment that I was reaching for this guy, be like, we got to tell them what you did. And then on the tape, there's like, Whoa, and I'm like, you shot me. And that's when the gig got good. We went, oh, this is good. Oh, he's been shot. And then the actual stand-up segment <laughs> didn't work. I think I was trying to riff on like newspapers and maybe inherent racism in Irish media. And I don't think I had the skill set to take on that topic. <laughs> Gig number one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hi guys, welcome to really, uh, welcome to some pretty, uh, you know, political stuff. No, I think I was, I think I might have been more irate teen than humorous teen. And then I got got shot at the end of there. I'm like, oh, it's really good, really clever. Cut out the jokes, but do more of the being shot. Hilarious stuff. Uh, that was it. And then I didn't do it again for ages. I kind of, in uni, I wish that I had done it more, but I kind of, I did a gig and I scratched the itch and then I go, grand, that's that. That was very scary, but very exciting. And then I go off for a year and then about a year later, I go back, but be terrified. Oh, that's the other, that's the other resounding thing is Dublin can be quite small, comically small. And so I'd never tell anyone that I was doing this gig, but but it was a, the Haypenny Bridge Inn was like a bit of poetry, a bit of music. So it's just like someone else that you kind of vaguely knew would be doing like their kind of, their poetry show. And they'd have brought like 90 friends and you'd be like, oh, I know way too many people in this room. This is going to be awkward. So yeah, then I'd spend three months avoiding them. It was 
tough times, tough but fun, but more tough. So when did you start doing freestyling rap? Ah, I started freestyling like young. I, so I don't, I, I feel like you might have had this with comedy. When I was of a certain age, when I was, I love rap, man. And like, like, hip, and like it sounds corny to say it, but I remember like the moment I, got, I heard rap. So in Dublin, set the scene, it's 93. And the only thing, so so the only thing on the radio is like Seal and Prince. Like that's it. It feels like for about two years, everyone just played You Must Be the Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Pretty much that was radio in Ireland. So, so, so somebody uh, gave me a copy of Body Count, which is Ice-T's heavy metal group. It's ridiculous. It's still my, like, it's up there with my favourite albums, but only because of where I was in my life. And it's very, it's just ridiculous. It's like, so I'd gone from like, you know, you know, whatever it is, kissed by a rose I seal, to Ice-T doing a narrative uh, about dating the daughter of a KKK member and, you know, just that anguish, dating her and they're into each other, but her father was the member, or the top member of the clan. It was very different to Seal. I remember going, this is, and likewise NWA, that whole, like, kind of storytelling side. Snoop's first album, Doggy Style, I remember getting that as a tape, and it opened up with Snoop in a bath with a woman, just, you know, doing what people do. And at 13, I was like, this is, it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. It was, you know, that kind of way that, like, I loved, I loved how quick rap was. I loved the stories. I loved the, like, Snoop's album particularly. It was all kind of little tales. Um enjoyed actually even being an outsider like none of us knew none of my mates knew what the words meant so like there was no internet so we didn't know what chronic was but we kind of felt it was weed but I remember a discussion that broke out between me and the two other hip-hop fans in Ireland at that particular time of what a homeboy was and a guy the the 50 I was 13 the guy who was 15 was like a homeboy's the guy who lives closest to home at any particular point and in my head I was like that's idiotic like like you'd need a map to justify that you were the homeboy but at the same point I had no frame of reference to argue with him um, but anyways there was loads of just like listening to hip hop 13 to around 16 and then around 16 started I suppose probably uh, just hanging out a little bit more maybe having a, a drink or two and then just rapping. And it wasn't the thing that made me, I, there was never a moment that I went, and now I'll start like trying to freestyle. I think it was just like a bit of a non-focused head that sometimes thought I was actually doing the lyrics of songs. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, because at the time there was a lot of stuff I didn't understand. A lot. Like even now I read Decoded by Jay-Z. And I used to really like Jay-Z. But I don't think I understood a lot. Like a lot of it is references to really specific ways of selling drugs. Like a lot of it is the wire to a Kanye West beat. And I did not get a lot of those references. So I think I, I inadvertently made sense of a thing I didn't understand. And I think by proxy, I accidentally started being a rapper because I didn't know what words meant. <laughs> so ignorance made me a freestyle rapper. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So when did you start incorporating your freestyle rap into stand-up? Uh, I started bringing hip-hop into the stand in 2008. Um, so I was I was working as a... I, I had a desk job, and I got an email one day going, uh, something about a hip-hop theatre workshop. 
so I just went this is mad again lovely thing didn't know that existed so went to it um, and it was by a rapper called John Z D it was amazing runs a lot of things breaking convention a lot of kind of dance orientated stuff so we did this one week kind of the idea was we'd all spend like maybe five nights working on a particular piece that we'd create and we'd do it up in uh, somewhere up in North London Bernie Grant uh, Arts Centre so I did this thing about I'd just broken up with someone and I did a kind of freestyle not it actually wasn't a freestyle it was written to pie charts that moved to a beat so I couldn't mess around on should you know what should I do next should I get back with her and the percentages of how my brain was working it was very very silly um and then we'd been talking about uh we'd been talking about the bush and I was saying how much I love the moon and John Z when I got there John Z when I got there on the day of the show John Z was like oh yeah man that moon thing we're gonna do a thing with the moon and I was like no man <laughs> you misheard I was talking about the mighty bush do the moon he was like oh we thought it'd be funny to do like a freestyle Q&A with like a moon figure or a god figure and I was like cool okay no that's not what I'm doing he was like okay I'll ask another rapper if they want to do it and then I kind of got, I was like, no, well, if, some, if someone's going to do it, I'll bloody do it. So it ended up being like kind of a, a God-esque figure with the crowd asking questions and me being like, play a beat and then responding. And it was it was like projected up into a big screen. It was, it was quick. It was random. And it was like really silly. But I left that day going, I had been doing stand-up for two years. I've been going, that's fucking much better than anything I've done. <laughs> that was, and it was much more exhilarating because I loved hip-hop and I never thought... I never thought, oh, I could do rap in a in a comedy environment. So, like, I'd written all my university. I did uh, stuff that was all like communications and radio, and I used to just make little hip hop plays. Like, I pretty much did a degree in hip hop, like my semiotics essay. I remember a lecture ago? You're doing a lot of hip hop. We did a semiotics essay. I did the semiotics of Snoop Dogg album covers. Uh, my thesis is a little hip hop musical. That was all depressing. I was like. 21 and I'd broken up with someone and it was all very tortured anguished hip hop <laughs> which yeah yeah it sounded pretty ridiculous people thought it was a comedy but I swear it wasn't <laughs> they were like oh this is really funny man you're taking the piss out of conventions of hip hop and I was like no 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 I'm trying to do conventions of hip hop uh, so but yeah it was around then like 2007 2008 that I went oh this is great and then tried to write an hour show that was my plan I was like I did that and I went brilliant I'll write this hour show I'll go to Brighton Free Fringe Festival and I'll do this you know and I'm this character and I had various characters that I'd written um, and then I got to Brighton and couldn't remember the lyrics in all sincerity just couldn't remember and Carly Smallman had helped me out Carly had directed it <laughs> she'd come in the opening night and I was like Carly I don't remember the words but we could still do this and Carly pl- played guitar for that show it's kind of first ever Abandoned show and I just chatted to the crowd and did ridiculously long-winded 20-minute narratives about their lives. And it, it was good. It wasn't great. But it was it was more fun than I'd had previously. Uh, so that's kind of when the, the, two, the, two, the two met very accidentally. If I hadn't had that email to come and do this hip-hop workshop, I probably would never have gone, oh, I'll try rapping and stand-up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, yeah, I love it. So when did you start gigging with James Hancock's? Uh, James and I met a year later uh, and I stole them from, from his indie band. James was in a really cool... In- nah, I feel bad. I didn't steal them. That's actually very incorrect. James was in a band called You and Me 
uh, and he was it was an indie band and I was comparing kind of mixed Bill Knight um, that brilliant guy Charlie Partridge I put together and at the end of that night James was just hanging out and I was like mate do you want to come on stage and we'll try this rap thing uh, and yeah I quickly realised that I don't think and James will agree with this James wasn't too familiar with hip hop as a genre uh, if you see James his face will describe the exact music he was into at the time. He is, you know, he's a kind of folk, amazing knowledge of folk music uh, and kind of indie music and rock music and maybe even a bit of metal music. But he wasn't really that into hip hop. But when we got on stage, everything that he played, I'm like, mate, that's the easiest thing to rap over. Because we were doing it all like no drums. So, so the guitar had to hold down rhythm. It had to be not too straight. It had to be a bit empty it had to be it's really interesting that I've played with other guitarists since I've started working with James and I'm like yeah like James is just phenomenally talented in this hip hop area and other rappers who've like played with James they're like I don't know what it is I'm not a musician I can't describe it I'm just like do that thing you know the one da da today it's like I don't rub but I'll try something <laughs> uh, so we met around 2009-ish and then I think shortly after that gig we got incredibly lucky slash slightly ballsy. Um, my favourite hip-hop crew, probably still to this day, is Atmosphere. So it's my last, like, I don't think I've used MySpace since. And I didn't know MySpace had, like, even status updates. But I saw Hello London beside Atmosphere, who I followed. So I was like, cool, it's around 2009. Atmosphere are in London. I'd never seen them live. Loved them from, you know, 2000. Uh, rang La Scala, being like, hey, man. What time were Atmosphere on? The person was like, oh, it's kind of early. Their support act has dropped out. And in a moment of raw ballsiness, I went, oh, okay. And I remember taking like, I think I might have even gone, okay, put the phone down. But I called back and was like, hey, can I can I open for Atmosphere? And he went, probably not. But, but you can email the concert promoters because they are looking for someone. It just seemed ridiculous. Like the dude who was calling for tickets a moment ago. So I ended up getting an email address and sent off a little clip of something I'd done before. Uh, just a little kind of short audio grab. And they emailed it to somebody to do with Atmosphere's management. And I think people just shrugged their shoulders and went, fuck it, sure, at least we'll keep the time. We'll give them the job. So so we did. We went down, I rang James. I didn't know his surname. He said, my phone is James Guitar. And like, hi, mate, I'm the guy from a few nights ago. Do you want to do La Scala uh, tonight uh, for a hip-hop show? And he went, yeah. He went super confident. Cool, yeah, count me in. And I found out later, you know, like myself, under, under the waves, he was terrified, like, and like we went down, we didn't know, we didn't have a show. Uh, and it was a hip hop crowd and it's about, you know, it's a big room. They weren't all there, but it's a big room. And so the video ended up on MySpace. There is a lovely moment where like we had no idea how to fill 20 minutes and we didn't know each other. Like it just looks, it looks like we're a sketch group because I got out like, I'm Rob, I'm from Ireland. And I'm like, this is James. Awkward pause. Where are you from? And like the audience do laugh and I'm like, and I and I said a line just to amuse James. I'm like, hey, we, we we know what we're doing. It's not like we want a competition to be here. And then we go into some freestyles. And it was really nice. And then we went, fuck it, should we be a band? Actually, we didn't. Then we went into the backstage room while Atmosphere were on stage. And we for some reason, we started eating not an inordinate amount of their rider. But enough that when they came back in the room, we both felt a little bit awkward. <laughs> a lot of cheese. So he sat back there eating cheese. It's my favourite hip-hop band who were on stage. The band who I wanted to see. I just sat backstage and like, baby bells are fantastic. Uh, and then one of them popped back in. I was like, are you guys 
Are you guys enjoying the rider? Yeah, yeah, we're enjoying the rider. Okay, and that was it. That was it. And then we went, we went, should we be a band? So that was kind of it. That's how we kicked off. Well, you supported Ed Sheeran on tour. So how did you find performing to a crowd predominantly there to see a musician and coming out and performing comedy? Yeah, yeah, they were very much there to see a musician. They were very good. They were, they were some of my favourite gigs. Like, it's a strange one. Uh, I think that people always like, if a comic performs at a music gig, everyone's surprised that they're funny. And I think that's no bad thing because there's no pressure. Essentially, if we weren't funny, they'd have just thought we were a musical act. So you actually felt under less pressure. Where you felt way more pressure was the rooms where, you know, Ed and I traditionally do different rooms. <laughs> I saw him in Australia when I was out in Adelaide uh, in a 9,000-seater uh and he was like, how's your, how's your run go? I'm like, cool, man. He's like, how big's your venue? I was like, yeah, it's 102. Uh, there's something that, yeah. So like when we were doing the Ed tour, he just, he was, you know, he was, I think he was number one in the album charts. So he was just becoming massive. So it was like four to 5,000 seaters. And they were, they're standing obviously way bigger and way bigger for quite a, an improv act. Um, but the nice thing was that people got on board. I think that, and I think this is a, this is a stand-up thing. I think that, like, if you're a musical support act, you, you know, you go out there, you do your thing, and the crowd might engage, the crowd might not. If they know your songs, they'll enjoy it a lot more. I think with stand-up, everyone who does stand-up kind of goes out until you reach a certain level, like, you know, McIntyre, Apollo, whatever it is. But most of the time, you're going out to a club and they're seeing you for the first time, so you kind of have to convince them to get on board. And I think that was nice with those gigs that we went out and we were like, yeah, you know, this is what we do. <laughs> we're freestyle rappers and, and get on board. And like we had to change things because the other thing is a lot of our stuff, we're chatting to people about their jobs and all of the audience members we were meeting were 16 year olds, our mothers, uh, with a couple in between. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, we get someone on stage and we're like, hey man, what do you do for a living? And you'd be like, I'm a waiter. And then we try and chat to him about the job and we'd realise that he hates being a waiter because he's 16 years old. Well, if you meet someone who's 25 or 35 and they're doing something highly specific, they probably don't mind you chatting about it. So we'd take out, we'd take out a lot of ideas that we had just because 16-year-olds don't have jobs. <laughs> or if they do, they don't love their jobs. So we ended up having kind of like, we ended up calling Hasbro and asking them to give us a massive Connect Four. And we ended the show... We dropped some of the working stuff. We ended the show just having a massive battle where we endowed someone from the crowd as the champion of Connect Four for that town. And then I battle wrapped them as we played Connect Four. It's very silly. Um, so yeah, it, it was very, like, a lovely gigs, but totally different in expectation. The other thing that was very weird was, right, so when you go to a musical concert, like, you can mention a person's name. Like, you can go, you can just mention a person's name. I'll be like, we're doing stuff about Kanye. I'll be like, man, love Kanye West. And like, thousands of people will be like, yeah! And you're like, calm down. Just what, what was that? Uh, and then, oh, the other thing was as well, sometimes I jump into the crowd to try and freestyle about like things in the crowd. And people would touch you in a way that I had to stop a show once. I was just like, what are we doing here, people? What are we doing? Look at this face. Do I look like I'm a JLS? This is not a JLS head. Do not be touching. That's not the show you're at. I am not your new teen idol. I'm no one's teen idol. 
<laughs> as a teen I wasn't a teen there's no stop that it just seemed weird do you know what I mean like like I forget where I was it was only one time and I jumped in just people were just touching me up and I'm like what the fuck are we doing here okay I'm a grown up and then so, uh, the other thing that I adored and was very sweet was some of those people that we met on Ed's tour then came to see us in comedy clubs and uh, remember in Dublin we got there and I was like you know it's a Dublin gig I've got mates friends from home uh, some people that like a band of man so my family and three people who like scream and like put their hands in the air on uh, on punchlines and I have to go did you see us uh, on the Ed Sheeran tour yeah yeah we did yeah it's not you don't do the scream like it was kind of like do you know the way that you got to go you don't in the comedy clubs you don't do the screaming you just just enjoy it you don't have to ah! you don't have to it just was weird it was that kind of frenetic young woo energy that at a comedy club would seem mad like if you went to a comedy club and like you went to the store and just like I don't know whoever dropped a good punchline Ian Stone you're like yeah woo yes you'd be like okay that guy's going to be evicted and that's it was very sweet but there was a little bit of us going. We found it very funny, but you could see, and you could see other people in the audience looking at us, like, were they, had we planted them? Like, why are those three weirdly over into this? So, anyways, it was it was good crack. Very, very good crack, that whole Ed Sheeran experience. Did you and Ed get to improvise comedy rap together? Yeah, well, weirdly, that's how we met. We met, uh, again, weirdly, at the Brighton Fringe Festival. Uh, a hip-hop kind of show producer, Dan Sue, put together four people, and it was myself, uh, Camilla Torado who used to play drums for a band of man Max Golden Maxwell Golden phenomenal uh, rapper and uh, this young guy called Ed Sheeran so we went off and like you know we did all the shows for free uh, freestyled I think it was like 3.45 in the afternoon uh, so yeah we, we did a little show together so yeah that's how we initially met and then I remember at the time uh, I remember him going you know who he was asking like you know with regards to a lawyer, like, what do you recommend? And in my head, I was kind of like, I didn't know Ed was going to be massive. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't know if you need a lawyer. <laughs> a year later, I was like, he needed a lawyer. That guy was doing big things. So, yes. Yeah, so, and then, yeah, pre-show, particularly in the early shows, I think before they went massive, massive, we did a couple on, uh, so we moved from, I think, like the kind of O2 Academies to, I don't know, he moved from like massive venues to really massive venues. And then in the former, in the smaller of the large venues, uh, we used to freestyle a lot before going on stage. I think in the kind of slightly bigger venues, everyone was just getting their heads together. But he's phenomenal, he's a really good freestyler as well. And now your band has expanded in size. Yeah. And also for Edinburgh, there's going to be a big band. So when did you start expanding with more instruments and saxophones and drums and percussions? Wow. Well, we did. We did something stupid a few years ago where we thought we should go massive. I saw Kanye West's uh, late orchestration album. I was like, man, on the budget of comedy clubs, why am I touring with a horn section, keys, bass, percussion? So we did this thing where we, uh, about two years ago, we met a lot of guys in Guildhall and 
we just spent a whole summer gigging together. Uh, we got dancers in at one point. We got four dancers. It was a 13-person crew at one point. It was ridiculous. <laughs> we were being paid as one person. <laughs> they were still like, would, uh, like, how much would cover it? Like, uh, insert fee that didn't cover transport. Uh, so, yeah, for a summer we did that and it was really good crack. But it was so hard. When you roll up to a club that, like, expected one man on a mic... And are stressy already that, you know, there might be a guitar involved. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I've also got not one, but two dudes on horns. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Trumpet and trombone. Uh, we did that. And then it did become crazy. It just, the places we went to just were looking at us like, yeah, this won't work. Uh, so then we stopped it for a long time. And then decided for Edinburgh this year, we really wanted to work with uh, a couple of well, we really want to work with this guy Sam who put together the original band amazing percussionist and then we met another guy called Dave who was doing a musical comedy show he kind of my girlfriend was friends with him she was like you gotta meet Dave but if I'm totally honest when someone's like oh they do musical comedy I sometimes don't think that they're gonna be and they're gonna be alright musicians and probably very funny uh, that feels quite disrespectful but that's the honest truth I was like Jenna's like oh yeah it'll be really good at Keys uh, and I kind of went, yeah, I don't know if you really will. So, so, he, so he came round, and then he started playing keys. And I was like, yeah, this guy's ridiculously good. Uh, so Dave now, it's really nice. Dave plays keys, but he's also started like movie soundtracking the like all the chats, and it's really sweet. So, it's just brought a new element to the show, um, where all the chats can be made weirdly dramatic by him adding like seriously tense strings, are kind of loving with some nice Amelie esque piano. So yeah, it's been more recent and then we've been jamming a lot together for the last three months and then we do Edinburgh and uh, yeah, it's a four piece which feels which feels actually manageable rather than going, yeah, I've got five dancers. <laughs> does your does your stage that's big enough for like two people comfortably, is that okay? Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be more manageable this time. So what can people expect from your show this year? I don't know. Well, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a really... It's a tale of it's it's by musician. It's the idea is it's set in the future, and we as a band that's how we write our songs. Uh, we come from the future. It's very high high end. Uh, it's essentially a trip to the moon. Uh, it's called the Moon Rock Boombox. We open up and we meet a couple of people, and there's this tension, there's some falling out, and then and then there's kind of a return to the moon via pirate ship. It sounds ridiculous when I'm describing it. <laughs> That it's very good. Uh, it's really, it's just really ridiculous. We've everyone in the crowd becomes cast kind of by who they are and what they do, but also kind of by it being set in the future, everyone's a bit more loose to mess around. So we found a lot of a lot of previews. We didn't initially have a story arc, and you could tell that sometimes people were just getting a bit like oh, a bit stressed if they're being chatted to a lot. But as soon as we were like, no, in the future, you're, you know, you're, you're a more fantastical version of yourself. Suddenly people got really into it and kind of got slightly cocky about it. That's right. I am the lunar captain slash John from publishing. Uh, and so everyone's kind of being a bit sillier and it's lovely. It's really, it's just, it's just a really fun show. And it's what's, what, I, what I'm enjoying. And I always say this, like it's the crowd that kind of does so much of the work and if you know like if people are finding out they're related to other people in the show so there's a lot of connections that are happening and like someone might die and then we're trying to get a eulogy from the girl who's just been endowed as uh, his daughter and and sometimes they just stand up and just go cool 
my father was a great man and they just take it they just run with it and do this beautiful eulogy with it being soundtracked and we do stuff about that it's nice I think the crowds have been finding it more relaxing to give us stuff uh than I think they had in the past and I think because of that the show is becoming much more silly um, and yeah it's just re- it's genuinely really good fun and having the soundtrack that's the other thing is if you say anything over a dramatic soundtrack it sounds really good <laughs> if you have like war drums in the background everything sounds a bit more like heightened and that goes for the audience as well if you ask them to say something but it's it's kind of soundtracked it always sounds poignant so what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far? Um, yeah, it's like it's uh, it's good. I like it and sometimes I hate it. Uh, it's So I've been doing Edinburgh for a couple of years and like did Free Fringe, which I love. Um, it's always been good. I think this year I'm hoping I'm going to be a bit more relaxed. Sometimes it can be a bit, a bit on the stressy side. Uh when you're kind of working till you know doing the late night shows all that kind of stuff it's yeah it's good I think it's always genuinely I really want to enjoy this year more I think last year had a really nice time I think 2010 which is the first time we did a venue where we invested a lot of money I think we were pretty bloody stressed that year (laughs) I think that like we were just we were trying to we were trying to make sure we had a career or check did we have a career we were doing you know we were doing some gigs some gigs that were, you know, on the kind of open mic circuit. We are doing a couple of gigs that weren't on the open mic circuit. We were trying to figure out where we were going to go. I think that year was quite, we were quite in our heads. I think this year, my hope, this year essentially I'm trying to bring a frisbee and two tennis rackets. And, and in my head, I'm going to have this wonderfully sporty experience. And the full stop in each day is my show. And then I go home to have chamomile and wait until the 11th of August when season five of Breaking Bad comes out. Very exciting. Uh, but in reality, it probably will be nothing like that. But, but I'm kind of, I'm fairly keen to make it a relaxing year. And then in general, the other thing, like Edinburgh as a punter is nuts. It's so much fun and gets better each year because I think that's one thing I love about the Free Fringe and Free Festival is you get so many great shows that you know I think before if you were going up there there's only you know you've only got so much cash you can't go hey I'll go see five shows today but I think now with the Free Festival and Free Fringe you can go cool I want to see this person I'm going to take a punt on that person during the day there's like Ostentatious an improv show there's so many cool things you can see and I think you can you can budget now that like you can you you know you can budget with the paid shows and with the free shows it's a cool place to go as a punter and an amazing place to go as a performer it does make us work so much harder like that's the, that's the one thing i love about edinburgh is i think it makes you go i need a new show <laughs> so around april you go oh yeah and then there's full starts that's what this year this year my lead to edinburgh experience has been filled with full starts where i go we've got the show we've won magical night the show's there and then we go back to the next day we go it was just no we don't have a show there's been loads of nights that i've gone i think we have it but i think we now have it so hopefully it'll be relaxed so what advice would you give to acts going up to the edinburgh festival and taking a show um a good question um what advice would i give i don't know i really wanted loads of cheesy things came into my head like just be yourselves that's that means nothing that's absolutely pointless uh i I suppose don't take it seriously is that i mean that's it sounds stupid for like in the comedy world don't take it seriously i don't know 
one thing that I adored was in 2007, I took up a show to the Free Fringe. And it was an hour show. And 20 minutes into that show, I realized that that's all I had. <laughs> I had to go. I literally had to go, you've been great. Good luck. And then I came back the next day and I had rung two friends. And I went, lads, look, I really have overestimated my abilities. <laughs> um, would you mind coming and doing 10 minutes each in this show? And they came through and it, it, it was suddenly, yeah, it was cool. And then over the course of that month, I kind of found out what it's like to do an hour. And I found out in a really nice environment where gradually I asked one of the guys, I was like, look, I think I'm good. I think I've got more now. I'm kind of maybe feeling more free. And then by the end of the fringe, the other dude had left maybe by week two and a half. And I had and I'd a, free, I had a free fringe show. I had an hour show. And I thought that was such a nice way to kind of go, oh, cool. This is how you do it. Like, it's not, I wouldn't advise it. I was stressed. There's nothing, there's nothing more awkward than 20 minutes into an hour show. I'll be like, you guys have been great. Enjoy your summers. What? What's that? Get out of the room. It was awkward. I was very, very, very stressed that, that particular day. I remember the morning after and just looking at myself in the mirror be like, why did you do this? Why wouldn't you prepare? I loved improv, but I might have been a little bit, I don't want to say ballsy because I don't think I was ballsy. I just think I was really misinformed of how good I was. <laughs> and how, how I could, I'm sure, you know, I'd only ever done club sets that were like 20 minutes. I was like, I'm sure I just do that three times. Like, that's fine. It wasn't. So, so I think, but I do think take the show if you if you think you'd like to do an Edinburgh do it and just you know see where it takes you and it's an amazing place to kind of get yeah I suppose it, others will probably disagree that it shouldn't be the place that you get your art to get but I think the reality is when you're a new act that will be the first time you're offered an opportunity to do an hour show so take it go up there and yeah don't get too stressed and if you are stressed just call friends <laughs> ask them <laughs> ask them to sub for you uh yeah is that good advice i don't know i don't know if, i don't know if the organizers will like this my advice is if you don't have enough material take the spot lads just just call a few people yeah do it just do it the nike approach that's my advice well as you mentioned you performed in australia and edinburgh and all over the uk and around the world so how have you found that different audiences around the world have reacted to your comedy? Um, man, that's an interesting question. I haven't noticed, if I'm totally honest, the differences aren't major. Uh, Australia is a hip-hop scene that is very much like mid-90s, upbeat, happy rap. I asked someone, like, do they have so much hip-hop? Particularly the stuff that's coming out at the moment is real, just kind of like bassy and, you know, kind of trap rap and crack rap and you know just kind of hardcore and when you go to Australia like it is it's been commented on by comics here it's quite an upbeat hip hop community and I said that to someone I was like man do you have even like trance even that kind of like Will I Am style it's just like nah we just do kind of fairly upbeat and like downbeat for them is like I'm in love with the waitress but she doesn't know it like that's that's very good I forget what the rapper is called but that's like, I remember that being like his tough song, like Ghostface Killer by the Wu-Tang. It's like, yo, I grew up same bed as like seven other children. You know, it was hard. It was There was roaches in our cornflakes. This guy is like, every time she serves me, I'm too nervous to show that she's my only purpose. But being here, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's Australia sad. Uh, that's the hard times. But what's nice is Abandoned Man as a show, 
I feel like it's it's a fairly happy-ish, upbeat-ish hip-hop show. So I found Australia really nice. Um, and way more rappers came to the show. Uh, yeah, there's been no way that it's been, like, I guess there's no way that it's been weird. I've never gigged in a place where English isn't their first language. So I'm off to Norway and Sweden for just a couple of days each after Edinburgh. And I've, like, I've never been there. I don't know how it'll go down. Someone wants to, yeah, it's funny because sometimes people go, oh, you should come to wherever. Everyone speaks really good English. And I'm like, I'm sure that's true. But there's always a little bit of me that's worried that the rap side of things, maybe it's, I hope it is incorrect, might be a bit too quick. And at the end, they'll just go, the guy playing guitar was fantastic. <laughs> so I don't know. No, but no, just no major differences. Ireland is the only place that I feel I get a home advantage. I do feel that there's a little bit of Irish people just being happy that I'm not shit. Like, <laughs> when they go, hey, I'm a rapper. They go, he's Irish, he's a rapper. This does not look good. I think there's a little bit of euphoria that I can do the thing that I said I can do. That's, that's yeah, that's the only place that you get the feeling of they're like, yay, look at him rhyming away. Uh, there is that. And where did the name abandonment come from? name of Vanderman came from the first time in Brighton I was originally I'm a high I'm an optimist in the same way that I went in 2007 to do an hour show with having never done more than 20 minutes I went to Brighton originally Carly was Carly Small was directing my show but I play you know maybe four chords on the keys and in my head I was going to use a looper and I was going to loop it all up loop my four chords up for an hour and it's going to be a one-man band, a band of man. Uh, that was the original idea. And that, you know, again, I'd far overestimated what I could do. So Carly played a guitar. Another friend, Micah Donovan, played guitar. Um, so a band of man just became like a show title. And then James and myself were entering Hackney Empire about a year and a half later, a year later, somewhere around that. Yeah, a year later. And we couldn't come up with a name for a band best we found because we thought it was ridiculous was the jazz pandas so we, yeah I know that didn't happen uh, so we threw in we just went look sure the jazz pandas I know could have been so different uh, so I don't think we seriously entertained it don't get me wrong <laughs> I don't think we went is it jazz pandas I just think that's the only one we came up with that day that made us go oh yeah I like the sound no I'm I want to say we were drunk at the time. We weren't. We just <laughs> struggled with names. So we thought, look for Hackney Empire. We'll just put in the name of Bando Man and we'll figure it out when we, you know, at another date. And then we ended up doing, we ended up winning the Hackney Empire and then getting bookings as a Bando Man. So it just kind of stuck. And at times, at times, you know, I'm not going to lie, Sarah. At times we regret that decision. When for the ninth time I go, no, Aband-O-Man. No, 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 not, not Abdomen. No, not Abandoned Men. That was beautiful. One time we got, one time we got Abandoned Men at a festival and we got an audience that I feel were expecting something so much more profound than what we could offer. Like, kind of male existential crisis, Abandoned Men. Another time we were doing a show with a poet called Ventriloquist, an outdoor festival, that was mostly for some reason we were on like one in the afternoon was mostly attended by just parents with their kids like I think there was music everywhere else they just went look the kids will enjoy this and the compare misunderstood the poet named Ventriloquist and a bando man I came out to the kids and went kids are you ready in this section we have a ventriloquist and a man playing a banjo and both of us looked at each other going 
we are about to disappoint a lot of people very quickly due to name decisions you know so yeah that's the name the bando man a b a n d o m a n that's that's the other thing that frustrates me is it's a made up word and in hindsight i wish i just used a word that i could go this is who we are and people go oh okay i don't need to confirm spellings with you i don't need to type you into google only to be taken to a site about abandonment <laughs> so yeah it's the name we got it we're sticking with it well, as you mentioned, you won the Hackney Empire and you also won the Musical Comedy Awards. So what was your experience of entering comedy competitions? Uh, I hated them. They're horrible. They're horrible, horrible things. Um, I, I, I suppose all my experience is just being a bit nervous. It's that thing of sitting in a room, often with your friends. That's the first thing. You know everyone on the bill. And actually, yeah, there's just a slight... There's a slight weirdness because you've gigged with them before and you're, you know, you're just people on a bill. There's a slight weirdness with being like just going up against people in a. I don't like that. I don't like the kind of the very much the formalized. Hey, you versus this guy. Comedy smackdown. Who wins? It just feels a little strange. Um but weirdly, I mean, much as I say I hate them, I actually do think both Hackney and Musical Comedy Awards, that was the audiences were super supportive. Musical Comedy Awards kind of blew me away because I went, there's going to be 10 musical comedians on one bill and after, on an afternoon show in, you know, the Wilmington Arms and Angel. I just thought, oh, this could be, a, I think in our first round, we were on somewhere down the end. I just thought the crowd will be musical comedied out. And those gigs were really good crack. Those gigs kind of went off. They were really nice. And I still, I went to them again this year. I had some friends who were in them this year. And yeah, you see this kind of real, yeah, real kind of nice vibe. So I suppose when I actually got to them, the actual shows are good crack, but the whole feeling of so clearly, you know, just that thing where it's like, okay, that was the show. You've got your scorecards. Decide who lives, who dies. There's something that inherently I find a bit horrible, a bit icky about that. But, you know, it's, they were fun. They had their moments. Uh... And yeah, Musical Comedy Awards surprised me in that people, yeah, it's just a good buzz. And Hackney Empire, actually, in fairness to them, was only two rounds, <laughs> which I loved. Hackney Empire was just like, audition, the final. Uh, yeah, sometimes I think competitions can go through like, okay, you're into the first round. Now, you know, from that first 15, we have dropped two. The next 13, we'll be back next Sunday. And you're going, for fuck's sake, this isn't Britain's Got Talent. Like, move on. Uh, now you're into the pre-quarter finals. Now the quarters, now the semi where, you know, and you're just like, come on, lads. Can we just, can we, do we really need to do this? Can you just take a look? I, it, yeah. It, anyways, many, there's, there's many benefits and there's, yeah, there's many benefits to them. I just think as an act, you can feel a little weird being so openly judged, even though I'm sure we're judged every night. If you are, if you are lucky enough to be in the toilets at the right time, you can hear most of the audience commenting on whether they liked you or not. Uh, that awkward thing where you're like, oh yeah, it's just in the toilets. And I heard a man debase our act for five minutes to his friends. So yeah, it can feel a little weird. I feel like asking you, have you done music? Have you done any competitions? No. Okay. There was a head shake. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's that's all I have to say about that. I hope I haven't offended anyone. They're very good. Well done, competition people. You give very good opportunities, but sometimes it feels awkward. And do you have a favourite type of audience to perform to? Um, 
I've, I, do you know what? I don't have a favorite type of audience, but I have a favorite type of room. It, well, that's the next question. <laughs> good. Well, the favorite type of room is a room with a really good sound system because it just makes life so much easier. Um, I just think that like, yeah, I think like clarity, I'm big into clarity and diction in the sound systems. We go into some rooms and you turn up the, you turn up the sound beyond like what I would call a conversational level and things are buzzing and feeding back and when they when it feeds back on stage the audience think i did it they're like why would he you know that kind of that kind of horrible and and inevitably they look at you going oh would you fucking would he ever stop doing that so that's my favorite room is a room with a a ridiculously good sound system like i will lose my mind we did tring the other day and it's just the best sound system like it's funny and by proxy, the audience is good because the show is easier. But I left the sound check and I was just like raving. I was just like, man. I even said it to the guys around the place. I'm like, your sound system's amazing. This is the best room. Fucking speakers. They're so good. It does make a difference. I, yeah. It, a room with a, good, with a good speaker system. That is my kind of room. And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians or upcoming improvising freestyling rappers wow man that's a that's a subgenre. <laughs> uh, advice for upcoming comedians just i don't know as many gigs as you can do that's that's the best thing about london that's why i loved when i moved over here that's the thing that was my favorite thing in dublin there were a couple of open mics here you could do you know one a night most nights of the week it's really really good so gig loads uh aspiring freestyle comedy mcs uh yeah, I don't know. Just, you know, get an instrumental tape, freestyle a lot. It's same as, it's the same as. I think it's for anyone, for anyone, yeah, I suppose that, that's the that, the thing that is good about comedy that I think is different to the music industry is comedians were expected to be on stage most nights of the week. If you're in music, there's kind of an expectation that you're working on your, your album, but I don't think that there's a, like, a full-on expectation that you gig every night. And I think that's the thing that that's the thing that I love about stand up is like you do you gig, you know, a lot every week. And I think in my first couple of years of moving to London, just learning to be relaxed on stage, learning to like I remember my first gig and I, I didn't know anyone in London. I just moved. It was Malcolm Hardy's Wibbly Wobbly Boat. So I turned to three girls who were in a table beside me. I was kind of waiting to go on. And I genuinely went, I might have a heart attack. And I wasn't joking. I just went, I might have, like, my heart was, ki- like, just like, I've never felt it going that fast. So I went, hi, I might have a heart attack. Um, Could you just, like, just kind of look in on me if that happens? Like, I genuinely was petrified. But you do so many gigs that that, yeah, that dissipates. <laughs> You're laughing. I honestly went. I genuinely was like, and I remember being on stage at that gig and just thinking, people must think I'm trying to dance with one leg. Because one leg, I'd never experienced that before. My heart was going so fast. One leg just went, Rob, I'm on my own tonight. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a one-legged Michael Flatley, right? And I did 90 seconds, but I thought I'd done five minutes. I did 90 seconds. <laughs> and I came off stage. Got him, it was all right. Uh, Malcolm Hardy, who... who you know, it was lovely and it, he'd given me, he was, you know, I came down as an audience member but said I want to do comedy so I went do some tonight. And was that all right? And he just kind of, he was very nice but he was like, yeah, yeah, come back again. This time aim for three. And I was like, okay, yeah. I, oh, sorry. I, I thought, I, and I, you know that way that like everything, time slowed down so to me 90 seconds was a clear five. Uh, I thought I could die. 
and I tap danced with one leg. It was a strange show. But that dissipated, thankfully, after a while. And you could feel it. That was actually the night. And that's the other thing. And I think that's what's great. That's what's great about comedy. You just fucking gig. Gig as much as you can and it'll get so much easier. I think that's the thing I wished I knew when I first got into comedy. I thought it was so petrifying. But I was like, no, you just need to do however many gigs. I don't know how many gigs. Uh, and different people come at it from different stages. But it took me a while to just like calm down-ish. <laughs> But yeah, just like you have to go through that phase. So if you do that when you're whatever, when you're 17, when you're 20, when you're 25, whatever it is, I think it's always going to be, there's always going to be that learning to calm down stage. So just crack on with that. And for anyone who's who's wanted to be able to freestyle rap and they, they just can't. <laughs> Is there anything that they can do? There's something wonderfully leading that I just, I just <laughs> no, had a feeling there was just with the way you said that, the way you kind of, it was like you were going, Rob, you know, just a random person. Just imagine, okay, let's go, uh, London-based female, uh, runs a, runs a, runs a comedy blog, but thinking, could the hip-hop thing be where her heart lies? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, there's... I suppose just just playing with rhymes, easiest thing to do. Playing with rhymes, put on a beat, and try and drop. Try not to think about maybe. I don't know why I'm taking this incredibly seriously. Like, <laughs> I never really tried to teach it much before. I'm seriously listening. <laughs> I know I could see that it was your look that made me go fuck. I better focus up. Uh, apologies for swearing. Um, I would put on a beat, and I try and just rhyme at the end don't worry about anything else should we try this oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah just put on it so cheese please there you go there you go that's yeah like if nothing else it's a way I don't know but that to me seems like a viable way of getting the head trained to find rhymes and finishing the show and, fi- and finishing the show with that ill freestyle cheese please that's the name of our new show we're the crisscross of 2013 the new jazz pandas yeah, yeah. jazz pandas on tour mofos check us out with our new album cheese please I thought you guys eat bamboo not anymore boom ch- boom boom cheese uh, it's gonna be big uh, yeah is that is that where we finish with the worst hip hop lesson. <laughs> One more question. Yeah, please do. And you studied communications at Dublin City University. So do you have any tips or advice for students? Um it depends. Like what? Like just in general study passing. In general. Exams. And also if you if you happen to include students of hip hop <laughs> who who might want to learn how to freestyle rap. <laughs> <laughs> that large community. Well, Sarah, lesson two begins now. Um, yeah, join my new my new fame school for rappers. Uh, anyway, so any students that are studying hip hop. <laughs> so students in university who want to rap. That's more for me, but <laughs> but also general student advice. And then on the side... Gotcha. <laughs> See this question I'm going Am I giving advice Just to students Just in general Just in general Wow I don't know um, <laughs> This feels like A really big question um, I think If you were a student 
Um, cook, cook well, that's a thing. Uh, I don't know if you're, I have no advice for students. I spend most of my student life like arsing about, trying to write little plays starring rapping snowman. That's genuinely true. It's on uh, uh, somewhere on SoundCloud. Um, general advice for students what give me give me more specific i, I don't i general is very hard give me a specific student tell me his or her issues and i'll give them advice <laughs> we don't necessarily have people write in with their issues to this well, podcast no, but they're going to start now what's a hypothetical issue that if i could help one student i don't help them all i don't know them all my advice might be terrible but if you give me an example of one student and one thing that's troubling them i will try and advise them Balancing degree work with extracurricular work. Wow, fascinating question, Sarah. And who better to answer it than <laughs> Rob, a freestyling hip hop rapper? Uh, balancing it, uh, try and have two hours a day where you go somewhere like a nice coffee shop and do your work. And then after that, don't worry about it. Two hours should be enough. And if it's not, then speak to your lecturer and be like, hey, you're mocking me with your schedule. I've got things to do. I'm not in school anymore. I'm not a child. Two hours should be appropriate. Is two hours appropriate? <laughs> Depends on the degree. <laughs> what about you? How long did you study a day? Longer than two hours. <laughs> Longer than two hours? Man, okay. I think, yeah. I, I See, I, I, in my university, the course I did we were seen as like the dossers. Like my brother, my brother um, studied medicine. So if he messed up, like genuinely, uh, a, a communications arts degree is you writing little random stories and making little radio plays. And my brother James was trying to figure out how to save a man from a heart attack. So I feel like I'm not the right person. <laughs> I feel like I'm not the right person to give any advice to students. My advice would be just, yeah, I don't know, just, you know, arse about a bit. Join a society. Create your own society. Ask the university for a grant. Invest in something you always wanted to do. Is that a thing? Someone did that in my university. Someone invented a society and just pretty much went, I think it was something very specific, like something he wanted to do. Another mate started the ultimate Frisbee uh, society, but only two people joined. But again, he got a huge amount of money to build this. I have no advice for students, sorry. That's ultimately what I'm saying. Have a good time. Go to a pub quiz on a Wednesday. Just enjoy yourself. Is that is that enough? I'm sorry, students. I feel I've let you down. Email me. Email me. Abandonman at gmail.com with specific queries and I will solve them through rhyme.